Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Super necessary. God, Eric, my God! Unbelievable! Just like that! Come and done! You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me! You can't say much other than wow. Hello and welcome back to Super Necessary. Today I'm delighted to say that joining us is a man who's coming fresh off a win in his UFC debut at UFC 270. Uh, La Mangosta, I hope I'm saying that right. Victor Henry. You are, you are. <laughs> What's up guys? What's up? Thanks oh, very much for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're uh, got trained pretty soon, so um really happy you could join us before that. Yeah, no um so first and foremost. Question we kind of always start with is uh, just let, let us know how you got started in, in combat sports. Well, um, originally uh, I started Taekwondo at about 14 years old. My uh, my high school didn't have any sports that I liked because I went to a private I went to a private uh, high school. And uh, it wasn't a very prestigious private high school. It was just it was filled with a bunch of ruffians that got kicked out of all the other schools, basically. So this school was uh didn't really have that much money so all they had was basketball and I, I i wanted a sport that was more physical so my mom goes well you're gonna do something you ain't gonna have all this teenager energy and not do anything so she gave me the paper and i found a uh well the local a paper for the local uh city and i found taekwondo for like 25 dollars a month two times a week and then uh went over there saw somebody get kicked in the head and i was like yeah i think I, that's that's something that i want to do so <laughs> From then on, you know, it was just I fell in love with martial arts. You know, I uh, started going to Taekwondo, eventually got my black belt, started training over at the Gracie Academy, and then, uh, you know, slowly transi- transitioned into MMA, and then the rest is history, man. That's, that's a nice little introduction in there, seeing someone getting kicked in the head. Like, I, that's what I want to do. I want to do that, exactly that. That's, that's something that I want to do. <laughs> um, so as we mentioned in the instruction there you, you made your debut at UFC 270 you know you were able to come away with it, a great win over uh, Barcelos did the fight go uh, as you had planned? Uh, yeah kind of yeah I mean you know seeing Barcelos in the back you know shaking hands with him I can tell he's just a physically strong person you know mm. especially since you know he has a wrestling pedigree he um you know, he fought in, in heavier weight classes before. I knew he was going to be a strong dude. So, you know, the game plan was kind of, well, I got to stand in front of him just enough for him to sit heavy on his shots. But I can't run away from him so much that he's having to chase me the entire time because I can't get any effective striking going off on my back foot, you know. So, 
I had to be there just enough for him to swing and for me just to touch him. But in doing that, I knew that he, he was going to swing for the fences. So I had to make sure that my chin was composed and shots and take some on the forehead. That way I can, uh, that way I can, I can start getting my counter shots and making sure he was there to hit, you know, and sure enough, you know, Marcelo's being the warrior that he is, you know, try to take me out the entire time. He was, he was present in the fight the entire time. So him throwing all those shots, you know, especially with all the heat that he throws with, you know, of course, eight of it, I mean, half of his wins come by TKO or KO. So, you know, I was playing, a, I was playing a dangerous game, but obviously it, it turned out to be worth it because he uh, got so tired of me just annoying him with just little jabs and little crosses and just being in his face the entire time. And, you know, the, you know, the work speaks for itself. Obviously I had a good game plan. Well, was you surprised that he was still there at the end after all the, the damage that he'd accumulated? Absolutely not. You know, you look at his fights and you look at his record, you know he's gonna be you know he's gonna be there the entire time. Mm. You know. So I mean it's not surprising to me that you're gonna ha- he's gonna go out on his shield. He's gonna he's gonna be there the entire time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh so I'm not sure if you were aware of this, but on the card, Barcelos was the biggest favorite in any fight on the entire card. Does that make that win even sweeter for you? Or is that not something you really pay attention to? Eh, it's not something I really pay, pay attention to. I mean, I uh, I kind of got on a bunch of MMA media for doing that. You know, I was like, hey, yeah, you guys, uh, you know, the mainstream MMA media, they, it's almost as, it's not disrespectful. I get it why they did it. You know, they weren't doing it just to disrespect me, but it, it was kind of like, well, dude, like, you guys don't pay attention to the MMA that's going on around the world. You guys only pay attention to the top 15 in, in, in the UFC, which, you know, I get it. You know, it, it's, a, it's a lot of hard work to keep up with everybody in every organization. It's, that's not realistic. And it's also not what dr- draws in the most, uh, the most uh, views on your articles. But it's important to know what's coming into the UFC. It's important to know that there is potential outside of the UFC. You know, there's, there's fighters all around the world and to, to, and to assume that only one organization has the best of the best is, is to me, it's a, it's a logical fallacy. You know, there's great people around the world. Maybe those people aren't going to be ever make it in the UFC. Maybe aren't, maybe a lot of them don't even want to be in the UFC. I know there's some people that fight outside of the UFC who are happy where they're at only because maybe they don't want to push themselves or maybe they got better paydays than what, the UFC would give them who knows, you know, but you know, I thought it was a, I thought it was injustice on their part because they're the one, they're kind of like the middle ground between the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the organization and the common MMA fan, you know, of course, being a common MMA fan, you know, like the UFC has done a wonderful job of marketing to the entire world. You know, the, everybody knows about the UFC. You speak MMA, you, the UFC comes up. They're the, they're the major league basically. But, um, MMA media is responsible for bringing new talent and new um, new eyeballs to the to the established, you know, and also to the unestablished, you know, people. So making him the 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 huge betting favorite, it's expected because I um, obviously he's had more than a few fights in the UFC and I haven't, and you know they're just they're basically saying, oh Victor, well he hasn't fought the UFC, therefore he's going to lose. What kind of ridiculousness yeah. is that? Yeah. Had you had you talked about his pedigree and everything, then I'd be like, yeah, makes sense. But what about my pedigree? Then you'd have to talk about my pedigree. And then, well, they didn't really pay attention to my pedigree. So they, of course, all they say is, oh, no, Honey Barcelos is the is the favorite just because 
I know more about them. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you see when the odds are like that, like so heavily stacked against you, do you see that as an incentive or, or disrespect? Like, well, what, what, what do you sort of, is it a good thing for you? Because like you sort of, like, I don't know if you thrive off people looking at you as the underdog, but is it like an incentive for you? No, not at all. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the betting odds are. It doesn't matter how many people are in attendance. It doesn't matter what organization it is. It doesn't even matter what clothes you wear. It doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, there's one constant. The person standing across from you is going to try to punch your nose through your face. So none of it, none of it really matters. It's all, it's all, uh, it's all speculation and, 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 um, and things that don't necessarily add up, you know. Like I said, at the end of the day, somebody's going to try to punch you in the face, kick you in the head, and break off your arm. That's the, that's the only constant. So the betting odds don't matter to me. The accolades don't matter to me. It all, it's all the same. Every time you fight somebody, you have to prove that you're the best. Even the champion, Peter Yan, he's got to prove that he is the champion every time he goes into a fight. You know, he is the current champion. But when he goes in there uh, against Aljamain Sterling, well, guess what? You know, somebody's going to punch each other in the face so hard that you know, there's going to be broken noses and broken limbs and choked necks. That's the only constant. Yeah, no, that's very true, yeah. Um, so with that win um, at 270, your record now stands at 22 and 5. Uh, but you've, been, you've actually been fighting professionally for 12 years, I believe, haven't you? So uh, was there ever a feeling that getting to the UFC was, was maybe not going to happen? No. I mean, I knew that, you know, it's funny because, like, a lot, of, a lot of fighters, they they set their goal at the UFC, you know, and I known a lot of fighters who was like, Oh man, I'm just, I, you know, and they even making sacrifices just to get into the UFC. But I always told these people, man, is the UFC is not, it's not the end goal. You know, being champion is the end goal. Anywhere you go, you have to put, I mean, whether in any job, in any endeavor, actually, just because you get the job doesn't mean that the, the work is done. You have to get, to, you have to get the job and then do your best and then be the best at your job. Yeah. Getting into the UFC, I knew it was either going to happen or not happen. Now, it wasn't going to change. It wasn't going to change what I was going to do. You know, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to get here. I'm going to get to the gym early. I'm going to stay late. I'm going to continue doing what I do. No matter what organization I fight for, the work stays the same. The only thing that changes is the, um, you know, of course, the training when it comes to a fight, and when it doesn't come to a fight. But, you know, even when I was fighting in Japan, the goal was, OK, if I'm going to be signed with Ryzen, I'm going to I'm going to eventually become champion. If I'm going to sign with the UFC, it's not just get in the UFC and be done with it because the work doesn't stop because all of a sudden you expect that you're going to have a, you know, a, a sudden surge to just run 20 miles every day just because you're in the UFC. Absolutely not. You know, you got to go in there and, you know, now that I'm in the UFC, it's okay. The work stays the same. I got to get up early. I got to train late. I got to, you know, do, you know, train to the best of my ability and prepare for the next fight and, hopefully get to fight for the belt and become champion one day. Yeah, it's a fantastic mindset to have. I mean, like you say, a lot of people do have that sort of mindset, like I want to get to this one particular place and that's it. But obviously for you, it's it's more like the work just starts now kind of thing. So it is, it's a fantastic attitude to have, not just in fighting, but in life, as you said yourself. Yeah, man. I mean, like I said, man, you just, no matter what the endeavor is, no matter what the uh, the job title is, you have to try to make sure you do you do it to the best of your ability. And do it in, in such a way where it doesn't compromise your honor or um, or your morals and ethics and 
you do things your way and and it, it becomes yours you know it's you know martial art is martial arts is for everybody that's one of the reasons why i love it so much but you know because it is for everybody it's free for everybody to interpret in their own way yeah, yeah. um so we've just mentioned your, your record there um obviously those losses on your record and um, that they've all been decisions uh, with that though, like, how important has, have those losses been to, to your career? Well, yeah, it's funny. I've always, in my head, I've always thought to myself, there weren't losses. There were just people who survived. Mm. You know, um, if I had, if I had more time then I'd, I'd like to think that eventually, I mean, if we're talking about the old days of you fight until you finish, you know, um, you know, those losses, of course they're, um, every loss hurts and it sucks, but it's not the end. You know, it's, it's part of, you know, the, the martial arts journey that you're going to lose, you know, it's, it, it's just going to happen, you know, and, yeah. you know, I've had, you know, I've had some, some tough fights from around the world and, you know, those, those guys, they, you know, they, they got the better of me that night and it is what it is. You know, it just, if it wasn't for those losses, I wouldn't, of course, I wouldn't be where I am today. If it wasn't for my first loss, I would never have probably started fighting in Japan, you know, yeah. From what I uh, from what I understand in in my head, this might not be true, but in my head, I'm thinking, okay, if I was undefeated, would the would Grand Slam, the first uh, the first J uh, Japanese organization organization I fought for, would Grand Slam have brought me in if I was an undefeated prospect? Probably not. They probably brought me in because, okay, well, he had his first loss, but let's put him up against Hideo Tokoro. So, and of course, I was being brought in to lose, but you know, I didn't, it didn't go that way. And then slowly and surely I started making my, uh, my carving my path through Japan. And, um, even to the point where they called me the Japanese killer. And I was like, no, I'm not the Japanese killer, man. I'm y'all's friends. Like I, lo I love the culture here. I love the fight culture. I love the food, you know, and we're all martial artists here and let's, uh, let's celebrate in martial arts. It's not call me the Japanese killer. Cause now you're putting a negative stigma on me, man. Like I want to come back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I remember years ago, I don't know who it was, but Matthews, he defeated a lot of a lot of Gracies, didn't he? I think someone said, would he take the name the the Gracie Killer? So I was like, Gracie Killer, yeah, Sakuraba, yeah. He can't can't like, can't do that, like you know what I mean? He, he respects it, like, yeah. Uh, I mean, he respect he respected him and everything, and a lot of that came from um, a lot of that came from the uh, not just the fighting, but the uh, the catch wrestling versus great Gracie Jiu Jitsu, and that goes back. Back until, the, I mean, when Elio was young, you know, there was, there's stories of like different catch wrestlers in Brazil, in Brazil that would challenge the Gracies and the Gracies would deny the request and instead jump them in the parking lots and thing and things like that. So there's actually a giant history, a long history of catch wrestling versus jujitsu. Mm. Yeah. So I encourage you guys to look that up because you'll see that you'll even some of the people that you respect were like, oh, these are, these are, uh, these are great martial artists and they've done a lot for the sport and everything. And it's like, yeah, yeah, they have. But you forget that they're also people still, and they and everybody has their fallacies, you know. So to hear about a catch wrestler challenge issuing a challenge to a Gracie, and the Gracie turning it down, and instead meeting them with uh with bats and fists with with a whole group of family in a parking lot just to beat up on somebody. Well, that doesn't sound very martial arts like. That sounds like a bully. No. But anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> I encourage you guys to I encourage you guys to look up on it. It's an interesting history. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Always looking to expand our knowledge, so we'll definitely have a look at that. Um, got to ask about about your nickname, uh, La Mangosta, or I believe it's uh, the Mongoose. 
in English. Where, yeah. where did that come from? So my um, so originally my my the nickname my dad gave me was El Monstro, which means the monster. You know, and you know my dad being half Mexican, I mean me being half Mexican, my dad from Mexico City. You know, of course, when I'm running around, he's like, hi, pinche monstro, like, come here, like, monster, come here. You know, I'm running around being a little ruffian, right? Um, so when I started training with Josh, he goes, we got to give you a Mexican nickname. I said, why? He goes, and I said, nobody knows that I'm half Mexican. He goes, yeah, but we need to appeal to the, uh, to the Latin side of you. I said, okay, that's cool, whatever, man. So he nicknamed me La Mangosta because he goes, just like a mongoose, dude, you're like quick, speedy, you get into shit. You're a little curious little <laughs> motherfucker. So, you know, that, so that's where that nickname La Mangosta comes from. That's brilliant. That. I like um, it. And <clears throat> like you say, I would have never guessed you were uh, you're half Mexican. So it, it yeah. definitely it definitely creates intrigue on that side of things. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, so during the official weigh-ins for 270, you know, <clears throat> Brandon Moreno, of course, had a lot of teammates competing on that, uh, on, on that card. So every time, you know, one of his teammates made weight, I heard from the, you know, from the, from the uh, press area, a lot of people just start cheering. Yeah. You know, which is cool. You know, they're trying, they're cheering on their teammate and countrymen. Yeah. So then, but anytime somebody who was not Mexican or, you know, who was white or, you know, the main eventers, they would kind of give them the, the polite clap. <laughs> you know, you know, you're going on, you made weight, politeness, politeness, cool, whatever. But it was, it was obviously very audibly different. So when I went up there, they gave me the polite clap, and I was just like, oh, these guys don't know that I'm half Mexican, which nobody does, really. I mean, unless you truly do the research, but I doubt it, right? Especially since the way I look. So <laughs> I go up there, and I make weight. They gave me the polite clap, and as I'm stepping off, I go, arriba las chivas, which is, uh, is uh, las chivas is a, is a Mexican soccer team in the Mexican league. And uh, all of a sudden, everybody turns around and looks, and they're like, oh, what the heck? This guy knows, you know, <laughs> Spanish. So then... Leading up to the fight, people are coming. Hey, you know Spanish? Tabes español? And I was like, Yeah, I know. And my dad's from Mexico City. Blah blah blah. And they're like, Oh, okay. And then sure enough, after um, after ceremonial weigh-ins, all of a sudden I have a bunch of fans. You know, all of a sudden people are like, Oh, he's half Mexican. So you know, I I started the buzz. Come fight day, people find out I'm from Southgate, California, which is like a, you know, it was obviously southern south of LA, and you know people start. You know, all of a sudden, hey, you're from Southgate. Hey, you know Spanish? What's up? And then, you know, it just, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster of, of course, uh, of course uh, Mexican fans or Latin speaking fans coming in because, well, I'm a white guy that speaks Spanish <laughs> or half white guy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, that was um, a smart decision by, by, by Josh. That, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that kind of helps us move on to, to the next one. So obviously, you train out to UWF USA. Um, with head coach legendary Josh Barnett, how important has, has he been for your career? Well, of course, he's been really important. I mean, he, I've been with him since day one of my professional career. Um, training under him has been an experience to say the least, you know, because he's such an experienced fighter and coach. You know, there's, there's a lot of expectation. Like, you would think that. You know, he would have some leniency because he's so experienced, but not at all. You know, he expects perfection and, you know, you got to do, you got to do the road work. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to do the work for you. Um, there's a, uh, you know, and you have to consider that being Josh Barnett or being any, you know, seasoned coach or seasoned retired fighter or seasoned anything, they, they hear it all the time that 
oh, I want to become a fighter. Or they see Josh and they say, oh, man, like, can you train me? Can you train me? Because they, they, they of course, they've seen what he's accomplished. Mm. They've seen what he's accomplished. So when people ask Josh to train him or train them, you know, you got to realize that Josh hears, hears it all the time. So what does he do? Does he dive into everybody? Or does he give people the, uh, the opportunity to prove themselves? You know, so what I did is, you know, he actually, I wasn't, this was, uh, I was still fighting amateur and he actually called me because my, uh, my team had just broke up. We were, you know, so I didn't have anywhere to train and uh, a friend, a mutual friend of ours, she calls him and she goes, Hey, you know, like there's this kid Victor and he's, you know, I think he's got what it takes and, you know, he, he's a, he's a gifted kid and he, uh, he works hard. So why don't you tell him to, why don't you reach out to him and to go train over at CSW where, where Josh was training at the time. He goes, all right. So I get a phone call and I, I didn't know who the hell it was. And I answer and he goes, Hey, this is Josh. I'm like, okay. Hey, what's up? Because he had just taught a seminar. He goes, Hey, Monday, show up to CSW. And I said, man, I ain't got a job. I could barely afford gas right now. I can't, I can't afford no gym dues. He goes, that's not what I said. I said, show up to the damn gym. I said, okay. I, I say, all right. Um, I show up and I put my gear down and he goes, Hey man, you got a pro fight in three weeks. And I had just lost my last amateur fight. And I was like, uh, shit. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. And, uh, and then he takes off to Europe and I was like, all right, but he was kind of in contact with me through text. And, um, so yeah, he shows up the day of the fight to corner me and, you know, I won that fight. And then even then he wasn't co coaching me full time. At that point, he would just tell me what to do. He was, Hey, I want you to practice this. Hey, I want you to practice that. And that's what I would do. I would practice and practice and practice until I came out in live practice and life goes and he'd be all right try this so it wasn't until like my second third fight that he actually became my full-time coach yeah i, I imagine that'd be like a roller coaster of emotions well <laughs> what, what you just described there like to get to the gym how just get there you know what i mean and then <laughs> yeah you get there's like you got a pro fight in a few weeks like like <laughs> it's just, just a shock <laughs> yeah i mean like i say he's gonna josh will test you to make sure to to see if you're going to do the world work for yourself. He's not going to hold your hand and do everything for you. I mean, there's been, there's been times where I went to Thailand to, to train with Santianoi and um, he, I'm like, what's the address? He goes, find it. <laughs> he goes, I'm like, he goes, you'll have a, you'll have a taxi there. They're going to drop you off here. Just hit up this road, make a right. There's no street signs, but make a right at this old rusted red truck. It's on the side of the road. You'll find it. So I'm like, all right. So that's exactly what I did. And sure enough, I hear, you know, the sound, the sounds of shins hitting kicking pads. And I was like, I think I got to go that direction. So I show up and I just dropped my bags. I was like, oh uh, yeah, somebody sent me here. He goes in the Santino. I goes, that. yeah, you upstairs, go put your stuff down and come train. And I was like, so, okay. So problem solving, problem solving with a Josh Barnett. <laughs> At least you got there, you know, because yeah. they're being lost. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's teaching your life skills as well. If you're ever lost, you just yeah. listen off a certain sound and you'll find your way. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the way <laughs> so it is, man. Obviously, Josh, as, as great as he is, he can't, can't do it all himself. Um, is there any other coaches that you work with regularly that you want to give a bit, of, a bit of a shout out to? Yeah, you know, I got, you know, the, the since the pandemic, of course, I mean, we've always been cross-training over here anyways, but since the pandemic more so, um, CMMA over in Gardena with Chad George, you know, Chad George has been a, uh, you know, he's got his school here, CMMA and, 
He's been doing a wonderful, uh, wonderful job running this fight program. He's got a lot of fighters um, who who uh, who respect him a bunch, you know. And Chad George is a seasoned veteran of fighting, also, so he also knows what, you know, what it takes to be a fighter. And you know, he's been he's been a great coach, and he's been, uh, of course, you know, just making an awesome program here to where even UFC fighters that don't even necessarily train here all the time are hitting him up to to help go coach him, you know, over at fights. So. He's obviously doing a great job here. And I also have a boxing coach, Jamal Abdullah, who works with mainly heavyweight, heavyweight fighters, but he also has his own stable of lighter guys. And I got, I got hooked up with him through Josh. You know, I see Josh working with Jamal and I'm like, Hey, I want some work. And you know, I got with him. So now I got three head coaches, you know, well, one head coach and two other coaches. So, but all of them bring such a different dynamic that, mm. you know, it's, I, I have to learn to, uh, to pull from each, and uh, and try to implement the best of them in into the best of me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, could could you tell? Like, is there anyone from uh, UWF or Chad George Jim um, that we may not have heard of, but we should be looking out for this year? Can you repeat that question? But you uh, you kind of cut off for a second. Yeah, sorry, mate. So, um, is there anyone from UWF or Chad George's team uh, that we may not have heard of, but we should be looking out for this year? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, of course, we got Bruno Sousa going back into the UFC, coming in what March. Uh, so he's he's going to be competing soon. One of our young, uh, you know, we got Cody Davis coming up this weekend over at LFA. Um, one of our one of our amateurs just fought last night. You know, uh, uh, Powell. He's uh he's undefeated as an amateur, but he's coming up the ranks, and all of his all of his wins come by first round some first round submission. So, you know, we have uh, a lot of guys. Actually, uh, Johnny Too Nice is coming out. He's a uh, he's an amateur, but he's going to be competing at the uh, at the World uh, Muay Thai you know World Muay Thai thing. We got a lot of skill sets here, man. I mean, we are building. Uh, I think I, I think we're building one of the best programs right now. You know, there's not a lot of huge names over here, but it's because of that a lot of the younger fighters and even the seasoned fighters like myself, we stay and remain so hungry. Um, just, uh, just last weekend, we had, um, we had Weber Almeida. We were going to have him on the, on the Bellator card, but unfortunately his opponent didn't make weight. So that fight got scratched, but you know, we got Leo, we got Machida guys here. We got catch wrestlers here. We got jujitsu guys here. Jiu-Jitsu world champions come through here. Like, um, uh, Kennedy, uh, from Cobrinha's gym, you know, Kennedy, uh, Cobrinha's son. So we got a lot of, a lot of guys coming through here, man. That must be really beneficial for you, Jordan Camp as well, though, having so many different guys from different disciplines coming in the gym that you can, even if you're just, you know, watching them for a little bit, you can just learn off so many different disciplines. That must be massive for you. Oh, absolutely. That's why I, I preach to these guys all the time to stay in the gym, you know, like, you know, of course, Josh, my coach told me to take a week off. Well, he actually told me to take two weeks off of, of, uh, of hard training. And I was like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. But, you know, I mean, I'll go. So last week I was in the gym anyways. And even if, even if I wasn't sparring and kicking pads and doing going super hard, I was still in the gym. I was watching. I was, you know, just on the Airdyne or the assault bike, just kind of rowing along and making sure that my heart is going. My lungs are going. I didn't want to just sit and do nothing. That's not. That's not my type, but you know, I'm in the gym. I'm in the, I'm in the, um, I'm in the airspace of just being within the martial arts community. 
you know, and then of course having other people from different gyms coming in and just sharing mat space and being able to pick off each other. I mean, obviously like we can't let everybody in because some people, they just, uh, they might be, they might be little snakes in the grass, but, uh, you know, you got, you know, if, as long as they have the right mindset of being a martial artist rather than coming in and just wanting to hurt people. Cause sometimes I'm not going hard. All of a sudden somebody decides they want to go hard and haul off on me when I'm not expecting it. And all of a sudden they, uh, all of a sudden I'm injured or maybe they, uh, maybe they don't hurt me, but then now I know it's on. And then I just, and then I, and then I run, uh, I run this guy through a wall all of a sudden the, you know, or, you know, I run him into somebody else's knees. So now other people are, are injured. You know, it's just yeah. making sure that you have the, uh, um, the right mindset for the gym, the right mindset to improve as a martial artist, all that physical, all the physicality, all that stuff, that'll come, you know, that'll come with strength and conditioning, pushing yourself in the gym, that'll all come, but maintaining the, a solid mindset and not, you know, not being concussed is, is, is a, is a must in, in martial arts. Yeah. The, the, um, the two weeks without training sound too torturous. <laughs> oh, dude, that was, that was horrible. And I was like, what am I going to do? Stay at home and do nothing? You know, I'm like, uh-uh. so, I mean, my girl already knows that uh, anytime, like right after a fight, you know, I take, I take it easy, but because I take it easy, I'm not exerting all that energy. So I don't need to take a nap. So all of a sudden just the house becomes clean. Just, I just clean this, <laughs> clean that, clean this, move this, move that. I start doing a bunch of errands because usually it's because I, you know, I put it off for so long because I got this fight. I just, I'll deal with it after the fight, deal with it. But then after the fight, I got all this energy. I'm like, oh, you know what needs fixing? The shower for some reason. You know, I'm just going to do that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> just, just keep busy around the house while you're, while, yeah. while you're Absol training. Absolutely. And yeah. it's it, to a point where I guess it becomes annoying. She's like, just sit down and relax. I'm like, <laughs> with what? Relax yeah. for what? I, I I have too much energy right now. <laughs> going, around, going around the house, breaking stuff on purpose just yeah. so you can fix it. <laughs> <laughs> for real, just to get me away. <laughs> um. So you, you did you touched on this a little earlier. Um, you've obviously been in some other notable promotions during your career. Uh, I think the two ones I noticed mainly were Pancrasi and Ryzen, as you mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. Were there any differences that you noticed with how they run their shows and how the UFC runs theirs? Yeah, I mean, most of the shows that I fought on, with the exception of the UFC, is, um, well, with Ryzen, they tell you, okay, this is what we're doing, and you're going to do it. I don't care how you feel, you know, so they got to, they got, um, you know, they got press that they got to do. I mean, everybody needs to sell the fight, right? So they got press they got to do. You got weigh-ins, you got medicals and blah, blah, blah. So you got to do that at these times. I don't care how you feel. Okay. With the UFC, it was like, listen, you got to do these things, but we're going to make it, we're going to try our best, you know, to the best of our ability to make it as comfortable for you as possible. So you can do these interviews in your room, or you can, you can come down for these interviews. You have this, you have, you have wardrobe check at this time, but you can, there's like a cushion and, you know, they make it real easy for you to be as comfortable as possible. Mm. Uh, with uh, some of the organization, well, with some of the organizations I fought in over in Russia, it was a little bit different. They didn't tell me what time or when weigh-ins were. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Um, how am I going to figure out, how am I going to cut weight? And how am I going to, how am I going to show up to weigh-ins if I don't know where, where or what time they are? And they're like, yeah whatever <laughs> find out so i found out and sure enough here i there i was and they just kind of gave me a look like all right well you're on weight go like, okay thanks <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like a uh, josh barnett yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> must, you, must be, you must have been used to it. <laughs> yeah, I'll plan yeah to at that point, it. for real, right? <laughs> um, so now, now that you've you've made your, your debut, are the A names in a stacked bantamweight division that you'd like to face next? No, I mean, I'm not really in the business of calling people out. I mean, I know that UFC has plans now, especially since I uh, put on the performance that I did. I hope they do. But um, I'm pretty much open to anything. Yeah, uh, any of the top 15 guys look good to me. If they want to, if they want to try to match me mo- more linear to my to my rankings in the UFC, I'm okay with that too. You know, I mean, Sean O'Malley is right. A lot of people may not like him or his attitude towards fighting, but we're getting paid the same no matter who we fight. So what's the point? But at a certain point, for me, it's more about honor than it is about the paycheck. So. If I fight a top 15 guy, even if I'm getting paid, getting paid the way I'm getting paid, it's fine with me. Is is that someone you'd be interested in fighting, Mr. O'Malley? Like I said, dude, I, I really don't care. I mean, I'm not in the uh, I don't I don't really call people out. I know he's got Sean O'Malley's doing a great job with his um with his uh with his publicity and he's been and his fighting it's it's been going great for him. And I think uh I think even if it if it came down to it, me versus him, of course I'm going to choose me. But I think even then, I think it'd be a really tough fight with a, with a very game and young opponent. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so then, finally, what can we expect from Victor Henry in 2022? Well, hopefully, some more fights. You know, I'd like to I'd like to fight at least two or three more times at, by the end of this year. Um, so hopefully, you guys get exposed to me a bunch. You know, and uh, and hopefully that. Uh, you know, I can I can meet the expectations, especially after that such a such a frantically fought first fight. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you again, mate. I can't wait to see you again. It was a a brilliant fight and a, a great a great show that you that you put on. It was it was excellent. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, guys. Not a problem. Well, uh, thank you very much, Victor, for joining us. Um, I know you're about to head off to training now, so really appreciate you there taking the time out before that. To join us, and, as we it's say, finally, to find it's great to finally uh set up a time with you guys and find something that we that we could both do, yeah. absolutely. And as we said, we we really can't wait to see you again, and we'll be rooting for you, no doubt. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me on. Take care, mate. Bye. were super necessary.